Let us turn our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12. And for those of you online that may be looking at us for the first time or visiting Living Word, we don't talk about money all the time, but I teach this so that we learn what giving is about. Okay? It's not about getting money out your pocket. It's about teaching you how to keep money in your pocket. That's what we're talking about. If you're a church broke, somebody took your money. And it ain't God. Okay? So while Satan doesn't want us to talk about money, it's so he keeps taking it from you. And then he brings with it all the stress, all the issues that come. He brings all of it with it. Because he knows that this is fundamental to God. He knows it. But a living word, we want to teach you what God says about money. Not with a motive attached, but the one thing attached to it is going to be about how does God think about money? How does he function when it comes to money? That's what this is about, okay? I am not a pastor to do that. I don't preach with weird motives. But I will not, ex I will not exempt giving, and I will take time in it because the Bible talks about giving from Genesis chapter 4. And it doesn't end on giving until Revelation. Because he knows if you love money, you will be evil. If all you do is seek money, Satan will destroy you. So he's not just talking about money to get at your money. He's talking about money to save your soul. And we don't see it that way because it's been used in a corrupt manner to gain money. And that is being brought here when people hear about money when we don't talk like that here. Just want to be clear with you. This is not to take something from you. This is to give something to you. And the reason why you're broke is because a whole lot of taking has taken place this week. And God hadn't had a piece of it. Okay? He hadn't had none of it. People have taken a lot out of us all week long. Some of you are tired because you've been on jobs for hours trying to work the part-time and all this out of extra jobs so he could eventually take your health, take that from you. So that God is trying to save you, not steal from you. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, he says this. We hadn't finished this last week, so guess where we is? <laughs> We're back here. In verse 1 it says, These are the statutes and the judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land, which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess as long as you live on the earth. It's not just Old Testament. In verse 4 he says, And you shall not live, act like this towards the Lord your God. We dealt with that last week. We also dealt with verse 5. And you shall seek the Lord at the place... At the place. You got to be careful which church you join, where you go to church. He's not in every church. Revelation chapter 2 says that. Which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name there and his dwelling. And there you will come, shall come. He's not dwelling in America. He's dwelling in churches. That's where he dwells. God bless America, God bless the churches, so America will be blessed. In verse 6 he says, There you shall bring your burnt offerings 
your sacrifices, your tithes, your contribution of your hand, your votive offerings, your free will offerings, your, burn, your firstborn of your herd and of your flock. There also you and your household shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice in all your undertakings in which the Lord your God has blessed you in all your undertakings. You shall not, verse 8, do at all where you are going here today. Every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. God, we thank you for your word. I pray, God, that it will be explained accurately so that people hear from you. But when they do, help them not to talk about what they feel or think or what preachers have done in the past, but that they will keep this pure for the sake of their families, as this last verse says, so that everything they do, you bless it. Everything. It's not a stressful, difficult, hard. So God, I pray that they would trust you for that and believe in you for that so that they would live on this earth in joy and peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One of the hardest things to teach in a church is this principle because it has been corrupted. There's no way around it. It just has. It's been used to make preachers rich. It has. It has been used to just fuel churches to build bigger sanctuaries just so preachers can have more credit to their names. It has. But not at this place for 29 years. I don't know how much more honesty you need to show in 29 years than in 29 years we've shown it. Whatever we have gotten money for, we have used it for those purposes. We've done our best to keep it pure to the point where I don't even allow pastor's anniversary, so it doesn't even seem to be corrupted for personal reasons. So in this church, we want for you to be blessed and there's only one way to that. As much as the world may think, let you think buying stocks is a way to do it, stock market crashed. If they make you feel like going to a bank and putting money in your bank accounts is a great way to do it, we found out the last couple of weeks that's not necessarily true. The banks can close while the people who tell you not to trust the preacher run off with bonuses. If you think going to Louisiana and, and going to the casinos and getting money that way, well, when you drive up there and the person running the casino is flying off in a plane, that kind of tells you who's getting most of the money. When you drive up there and the casino is beautiful and big and large and as we celebrate their God which is luck and chance, shock you that there is a God in the Bible, was God called luck and chance in the Bible. And what you're playing when you scratch off, the Bible would teach, maybe I should do a sermon on that, the Bible would teach, that is the God of luck and chance. All they did was take that God, put it in a new cereal box with the same cereal, but change the face of the box. 
It's the same cereal box, same cereal in the box. It just said new and improved cereal, but it's the same cereal in the box. What they did was took the, they used to worship a God called luck and chance. And now they're taking the God of luck and chance and they put it in casinos. They put it in scratch off. It's the same God you're worshiping when you scratch off. Satan requires the same thing you fussed God for, money. If you're going to worship a football team, he requires money. If you want to worship a basketball team, he requires money. Satan does the same thing, and that's why he uses it to corrupt our hearts against God. So when we come to God, because we're so stressed out and so broke, we think God at the worst time in our life when we need him, he is hurting us worse. But the person who hurt us before we got there is Satan. We don't see it that way. Satan has so corrupted our minds, we can't see it that way. You know, a, a couple of young kids with their grandfather decided to get him some candy, which I understand completely because I do crazy things with my grandkids like that. They want ice cream, take all the ice cream you want. You mean after dinner, there's the refrigerator. My wife is looking at me twisted. But I said, oh, man, eat the ice cream. You're going to run it off. Don't worry about it. Especially when they're going outside to play, I know they're going to run it off. So they just go eat the ice cream. Papa, we can get a bunch of popsicle sticks after you eat dinner. Enjoy yourself. Go to the crack house, basically. <laughs> I don't tell it to them like that, but it's a lot of sugar. They go there and enjoy yourself. I don't say that to them. Don't worry. I don't say that to them. So I do that. So I can imagine this grandfather telling them, yeah, you could have candy. Get some candy. So he gives candy to his grandkids, and they get the candy, and the first thing one of them did was run up the steps, and he broke open that candy bar, and he is just feasting, locked the door so nobody can get a chance to ask him for a piece. So he just took off. He goes up the stairs, opens up that candy bar, and he eats his full of candy bar to make sure nobody interrupted him. But the second child just sat there before his grandfather, and he opened it up in front of his grandfather. He says, Granddad, everybody got candy, but you didn't. And he broke the candy bar, and he says, Papa, eat this. You see, the, the child in front of the grandfather showed respect for the fact that the only reason that there was candy in the house was because the grandfather went out and bought that candy. And out of respect, knowing that the grandfather could bring more candy bars in, the grandfather can buy as many candy bars as he may want, that he said thank you because he understand that the grandfather would never tell him no because he loves him, would never say no to him because he cares about him, and there's no way the grandfather would not bring more candy back in the house. Because the second child did that way, the second child was more respect, respectful, while as the first child that ran up the stairs was selfish. The issue before God is that these people cannot go into the promised land if it wasn't for him. They would be slaves in Egypt. They would not be able to get through the Red Sea if it wasn't for him. They would be killed by Pharaoh. 
They would not sustain themselves in the wilderness if it wasn't for him because there are scorpions in wilderness. There are snakes in the wilderness. The wilderness is dry and there's no water in the wilderness. So if the snakes and the scorpions don't get them, they would die of thirst in the wilderness. They would not make it one day. If it wasn't for God, they would not have an air condition during the day, clouds, and they would not have a fireplace at night with the fire. They wouldn't have those kinds of conveniences, and therefore at night, with the kind of clothes they would wear in slavery, they would freeze to death. If they don't die of starvation, if they don't die of being bitten by a snake, they will die from the fact that in the day it is hot, no water. At night it is freezing cold with not the right clothes. So when they're going into the promised land and then have to meet giants and they got to cross the Jordan, the person that is doing everything for them is God. And in order to respect what God is doing, he says, the first thing I want you to do if you truly respect me is to give. If you don't do that, you don't show respect for my reputation. That's why we dealt with that in verse 5. You don't see respect for my reputation. Let me explain that. Many of us, Many of us, if we had someone we love and it's their anniversary or it's their birthday or it's, you know, a special day in their lives like Mother's Day or Father's Day, then we want to take them something to show our respect. We just don't show up on Mother's Day. Well, I didn't to my mom, even though she was all the way in Dallas. Something, if I couldn't make it there, something was sent way ahead of time to say thanks. Matter of fact, now with my daughter-in-law's such great moms, and I tell them you bless my wife and I to be grandparents, and we thank you so much for that. So even now, I don't just give, I give to my wife first, my mom has passed. I give to my wife first, then I give to my daughter-in-law's. I give them a gift. I said, y'all would probably like a check. So instead of trying to figure out what you want to like, that's your husband's job. I will give you a check. And I'm going to put it in your account so he can't take it. And you can do it the way you want. So give me your cash app. And I would put it in your cash app. This is a way of saying to you, I appreciate you. Because you are raising my wife and I grandkids and you're doing a great job. See, on those days, when we have those times and those days, we honor those people for what they did. Because what we are doing is giving respect to the reputation they're creating in the lives of their kids. The legacy they're creating in the lives of their kids. That's why we do what we do. This day is Resurrection Day. We call it Easter down the road, comes a month from now, but actually it is Resurrection Day. What do I mean by that? Today, every Sunday, every Sunday we celebrate Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ resurrecting, our hope for heaven is gone. 
If it wasn't for Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, our hope to have peace in our lives, our hope to find wisdom for our marriages, our hope to find an understanding of the scriptures so we know how to live it is gone. Our hope for protection when we drive into our cars and go down the road is gone. Our hope in the midst of COVID for God to cover and watch over us and our families is gone. When we get up on a Sunday morning, we are celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ, whether it's in this life or in life to come, with Jesus Christ in this life or in life to come, he has given us his word, his peace, his joy, all because God so loved the world, he gave. He didn't just give his son that was born in a manger. He gave his son who meant he left the glory of heaven with everything available to him to come down on earth and to live in poverty, to live and die like a thief, all because he wanted us to be with him. So how could we, in no respect to the name, when we look at our marriages and we see God sustaining our families and putting money in our families and protecting jobs so we don't get the pink slip and watching over our cars as they go up and down the highway, how could we then look at that and pay to everybody else but to him but say we respect him? He's going, there's no way you're showing respect to me when I'm the one even giving gas in your car. I'm the one that is putting the leather seats on your car. I'm the one that is taking care of the eggs that you eating by making sure that the chicken provide those eggs but then when you look around and you go praise me that's not enough that's lip service if you really thank me if you really appreciate me if you're giving honor to my name then you will tell people why you give to me you're doing it to everybody else. You respect the car people by sending in your bill. You respect the mortgage people by sending in your bill. You respect the tax people by giving them a third of your check at the end of the year as you pay taxes because you are an American and you pay taxes. He says, what about my name? What happened to my name, my reputation when my churches are closing, when my churches can't do missions, when my churches can't do what I'm asking them to do? My church can't effectively do what I need them to do because you give respect to everybody else but to me. So churches die. Churches go bankrupt. Churches can't pay their mortgage. But you did. But yet you say, I praise the Lord God. No, you praise him for what he is gracious to do to you, but you can't praise him for what you are doing for him. Because my name is not being respected. The churches is where he gains his name. So if you're going to give respect to him, he says, that's why the giving is here. Because this is his house. This is where he gains respect. It's disrespectful if a church can't pay a light bill. Do you know we have people, churches have such a bad reputation now, that we have people who when they show up here to fix an air condition, they want their money on the spot. That's the kind of disrespect God's name has gotten. They would not leave from here until you write them a check because they don't even trust the church to pay them. When you go to get a mortgage payment and you're dealing with mortgages, they don't trust churches anymore because they believe that if you get a mortgage to a church and it closes, then they're going to be the ones who have to bear the bad reputation that they close a mortgage on a church. 
So the banks don't want to do business with churches anymore. Why? There is no respect for his name. We have not taken this place serious. So when people come to this place, they see it clean. They see a parking lot well manicured. They see a place that looks reputable for the name of Jesus Christ. And no preachers have done wrong with this. They've made themselves this way when the parking lot looks horrible. But this, in the name of Jesus, the Christ, we have not done it here. When it comes to the name of Jesus, people should drive up and go, what a wonderful place. That gives him respect. He says, you can't come to my house and disrespect it and not expect my reputation to not maintain itself. When people drive by and see what they see. No, I'm, the, the, the maintenance ministry would tell you around here. I don't play with that. That's why people used to say, Pastor Cannings, we'll come up here on motor yard and save God money. I'm saying we all don't show up but two, once every two months. That don't show God's respect. So we're going to get a lawn mowing service. But that costs the church money, then show up then. Okay? I told you up front, I hate mowing yards. The minute my budget got money in it, the first thing I did with that money was to buy me a lawn mowing company and tell them, show up. Be here on time and you keep the business. Cut the yard the way I want it and you keep the business. So I told you, you ain't going to find me out there because my wife don't find me out there. But you don't show up. And this is the house of God. And therefore, it's going to be manicured. It's going to be nicely done. It's going to be taken care of because it's about his name. It's not about you. That's why he's saying, at my house, the place of worship, respect my reputation by acting like you have respect for it by making sure it's taken care of. And when you do that, I'll take care of your house. But I'm not going to take care of your house if you don't take care of my house. All you got to do is go to Malachi, Haggai chapter 1. In Haggai chapter 1, he says, you take care of your house, but you don't take care of my house. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put holes in your purse. I'm going to make your house a mess because you keep taking care of your house, but you don't take care of my house. So I'm going to make your house a miserable mess. So why your washing machine break down and then the very next thing happens, you got a leak in the roof and the very next thing happens, when all that stuff is happening in your house, God is speaking loud. I am not taking care of your house because you don't take care of my house. Some of us want to go, God, I'm giving. He says, yeah, if it's still breaking, maybe you're not giving the way you should. So he defines it. I, I literally function this way. In my, in my family. If a lot of things keep breaking in my house, my house is now 23 years old, 23 years old. I keep a record. You know, I'm crazy like that. Y'all may think, I'm, I'm just saying this. I asked my wife, this time when the refrigerator was shaking, I was in seminary, and my refrigerator was, it was speaking in tongues. All this stuff. I mean, it was just acting crazy. My wife says, we got to get a new refrigerator. I said, baby, you know the truth. You know our budget. You know we, gotta, we can't buy it like that because we're going to be paying at Sears forever. In those days, you get $10 a month. 
when they charge you 20-something percent interest. You know you're going to be paying for that refrigerator like for 2,000 years. So, babe, we can't buy a refrigerator like that. We'll be paying this $15 forever. So let's just, let me just pray. She, I was hoping she'd join me, but she didn't. <laughs> she, just, she, just, she just gave me that wife look. I know that was on my own. That's what leadership is about. I put my hand on the refrigerator and I said, God, you know our budget. You know we're faithfully given to you. So this refrigerator got to last. So God, I'm going to give you a timeline. I need this refrigerator to last for the next five months. That's when she walked away. Five months. Because in five months, I will cut back on everything I know how to save up to at least have half the price of this refrigerator. So he said, it's got to be a petition. It's got to be specific. I followed the rules. I I didn't bow before the refrigerator because it ain't the refrigerator. It's him. So I I, I grabbed it. I stood up in front of the refrigerator and I prayed. That refrigerator, I am not joking you. As long as it kept lasting, I kept saving. And I just kept saving. And I kept saving. And that refrigerator, every now and then, it will go to the bathroom. It will leak water. <laughs> you know? It, it, it's telling me I'm holding on. You don't give me no pamper, but I'm holding on. And it will leak water sometimes. Sometimes it will, the temperature will go different places. But at the end of the day, I said, baby, is anything spoiling? No, it's not spoiling, but we need a refrigerator. I said, it's quite obvious we need a refrigerator, but is anything spoiling in it? No, it's not. Hallelujah, God, you're a good God. Hallelujah, praise the name of Jesus. But if the, you got to keep it at the right temperature. Let's take a thermostat. I went to the store. I bought the cheap thing. I took a, thermos, a little thermostat, put it in the refrigerator. What is the temperature need to be okay well it's not below that so we're good to go so you're serious you're going to keep doing that? I said yes I don't have the money and if I go keep stretching our budget I'm going to immediately start thinking of cutting back on God so I turn up the, the temperature I told my sons I said son am I a man yes are you boys yes so if I walk around with a short short pants red short pants Pierre talk about and my t-shirt and the house you cool I don't have any girls here we cool you cut down on that I don't want you to put on a blanket at night over your bed because it ain't gonna be it's gonna be warm up in here <laughs> we gonna make some adjustments but we're going to buy a refrigerator. I never forget going and buy that refrigerator, and I only had a few dollars left to pay on it. And I put that thing in the house, and I said, we're going to have a hallelujah service up in here because God sustained it. I, eat, I check how God, how God operates in my house as a gauge as to how I give. Because he says, when you respect my place of worship and you make sure my reputation is not in ever being questioned, where somebody could walk in here, walk around this building, drive past this building and say, look at that place. It's falling apart. They can't do it. If you could respect my reputation at my place, then you need to learn how to give. What is he talking about this giving? How does he tell us about giving? Let's go to verse 6. Let's go to verse 6. This is, this is not an issue of a preacher. It's not an issue of a church. We need to stop doing those things to corrupt us. This must stay pure because this is about God, period, and respecting him. How, do, how does he define this acceptable giver? How does he define them? I want to take you to some verses of scripture because I honestly want you to learn this. 
I want you to understand this because this is about your well-being, not just his. Okay? So people are going to jump up and they're going to say, hey, hey, he's, this is Old Testament. I want you to know it in this verse because he's talking about them as long as you live in the land. They're still living in the land. Okay? He does not put in the ceremonial offerings. He does not. There's no trespass offering. There is no sin offering listed here. There's none of those offerings that when you go into Leviticus, you will find. They had a bunch of offerings that they had to do on Sunday. We talk about a 700 club and y'all twisted. They had a bunch of them. They had a votive offering. They had a burnt offering. They had a peace offering. They had a meal offering. They had a trespass offering. They had a sin offering. That's why by the time of Malachi, they hardly giving nothing. So we come up here and we just say, hey, you got an offering and a building fund. If you want to give to missions, you're welcome to do it. We don't ever push it. It helps us to get missionaries sustained, help us to go on mission trips, help us to give some people scholarships that want to go on mission trip that can't afford it out of their own pocket but are faithfully doing missions. We don't just give it to somebody who shows up one year and says they want to do missions because they may want a vacation in Belize. So we look at the people who have been faithfully going, who've sacrificially done it, and then we give them scholarships to get going. We do those things, but it's, we don't demand on those things. We just say, hey, and I will show you, they, 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 in this passage, they had five different offerings on a Sunday, and they stopped in worship to do each one. That's why by the time of Malachi, they are mad at God and don't give it all. And guess what he says to them? I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it so you see it. I will fire the priests... And I will shut the gates of the temple because, not because they weren't in the temple doing a whole lot of stuff, but because simply in the temple they weren't doing one thing, giving right. He was not respected. Sure put your mom's house and don't bring a gift on Mother's Day. As much as she is still your mama, she's not going to feel respected. As much as she can always be your mama, but she's not going to be respected. She's not going to feel that way. He says in verse, I'm going to read it to you. Malachi is easy to find when we get there. If you want to get ahead of me, go to Matthew and back up. So I found the easiest one for you. Okay? Now, let's look at this. He says in verse 6, he says, you shall bring. Who's bringing it? He says, you shall bring it. I'm not suggesting this. This is something that you must be completely committed to do. That's what bring here means. Simple here. So I said, I want to walk through this. So I didn't want to rush last week. Okay? So walk with your pastor for just a minute. I'm going to walk through the scriptures to, so it's not a selfish thing. I've done everything at this church to make sure it's not about me for 29 years. So give me this time and pay attention. Watch this carefully. He says, this is a purposeful decision. It is something you completely committed to that you have committed yourself to all week. So how you mean that? Go to 1 Corinthians 16. Don't forget, I said you're going to turn a little bit today because I want you to learn this and to see God is not after your money. The reason why you're broke today is because Satan took it. Okay? The reason why you're stressed out over it today is because Satan wants to take your health. The reason why you're stressed out over it today is because Satan wants to devour marriages by this. Marriages fight over a bunch of things, and one of the things they fight over is money. Money. They fight and argue over money, and it destroys it. Why does the world get so evil? Money. People that love it. 
That's why one of the disqualifications for a preacher is that he cannot be a lover of money. Okay? In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also on the first day of every week, each one of you, not, don't need a preacher to sing a song and dance. Don't need none of this stuff. He says, a first day of the week, each one of you is to put aside, just in case you think it's an Old Testament thing, is to put aside and save. This is something you put aside and save. Now, now I'm going to point to you when you think of this word that we're going to use in Deuteronomy, the word is going to be firstlings. When I use that word, remember this verse. Set aside and save. That's why worship is all week. We say worship is all week because we're singing at the house, doing devotions at the house, getting excited at the house. That's not worship at the house. Worship at the house is when I say, God, I'm not going to spend this because I got a gift to you. You know what, Lord? I'm going to take my temperature up a little bit because I got a gift to you. You know what, Lord? I'm not going to drive over here because I got a gift to you. Because when you are literally conducting your money all week long based on giving him respect, he says, you worship me all week. This is what he's saying. Save. As may, you may have prosper, gross, tax returns. I don't want to mess with you right with that word. So that no collection be made when I come. None. There's no need for walking around in circles. There's no need for a long parade. Because when you came to church, it was done. That's why when I built this building by the grace of God, I put boxes everywhere. Because in the temple, there were funnels everywhere around the temple. And that's why you see the woman with the mite. She came and she gave because it was already set. She already set it aside. If you're poor and you have a mite, guess what? You set aside that all week long. To make sure when you show up at church without a priest saying anything, a preacher saying anything, bam, there it is. There was no offering time because the offering was set before they got there. That's respect. Walk with me. It's not about the church or the preachers. It's about your, your, your mindset about God and how he's taking care of you, watching over you, blessing you all week long. It's saying, God, I thank you that I woke up today. I thank you that when I walked to the light switch, it went on. I may be crazy preacher, but there's many times I drive up to my house and say, God, I thank you that I have a house to drive up to because long years ago, I drove up to an apartment and there were roaches running around that apartment. You know you have a lot of roaches when you can hear them. <laughs> and I had to climb up the stairs and then they got real bold. They would sit in front of me and look at me like this. This is my kitchen. Why are you up, why are you up in my space? them roaches I've been there God so God for me to drive up in this place was able to raise my kids in this place hallelujah you know how many times I've sat in my car and just raised my hand hallelujah to you Jesus that is giving him thanks when you make sure that nothing interferes with his house nothing I make sure that and I will show you why I'll show you why Look, go back to Deuteronomy. Let's walk with this today. This is not about a preacher. Stop with that. Sometimes I feel like y'all treat living word like it's the divorced husband. 
or the divorced wife. I have to correct a couple in my office. Y'all keep talking about who you, years ago, years ago, who you divorced. So y'all are marrying somebody that is not like the divorced person. Suppose you find out you don't like that person either. Let's sit here and focus on who God called you to marry. Who's a husband, who's a wife. Bump the person you once divorced. Because you're going to constantly live your life in reflection of them. When will we be a person, a church that you marry because we are seeking to be a reflection of Christ? When will we get a shot? We're constantly being told about what other churches have done. I don't want to hear it anymore. I'm 29 years old. Now let's look at verse 6. You shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes. Your burnt offerings, walk with just for a minute. These three things that were the burnt offering. Three things with it. Here's the first thing. The first thing about a burnt offering is it was something that was brought to God and it was a full surrender of the animal. You bring the animal, you hand it to the priest, and you walked away. The priest took all the animal, every last inch of the animal, and used the animal before God to be burnt up before God. So first thing about an offering is stop trying to control the church's money when you give. You give it to God, you vote on a budget, and you just back up. We, we, if we sin, he will fire us. And I have more judgment on me than you will ever have to you. James chapter 3 says, I will judge the teacher more strictly. When I get to heaven, I got more on my back than you will ever have. Stop stressing over it. Stop judging the church on stuff you don't even know with the gossip that is talked about. And when you give to God, he's saying, surrender it. It's no longer yours. It's all his now. The second thing about it is, the second thing about a burnt offering is, once it is given to the priest, it was called for a sacrifice. That's why he brings in the word sacrifice with it. Why? Go to the bottom of the verse. Go to the bottom of the verse. This is what he's going to say in the bottom of the verse. He says, it's your firstborn. Your firstborn. I, I want you for just for a minute, we don't have the time, because I can work this sermon for two hours, honest to God. Because there's so much history in one verse. There's just so much history in one verse. When he says bring your first, the first, the first means a lot to a person who's a sheep herder. If you bring the first of your animal, meaning it's, your, it's, it's right off the top. God likes that. He even says, if you're not there right now, I'm going to read you the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. If you don't get there right now, in other words, if you can't do a tenth right off the top, he says, at least bring in proportion to what you could give. Start somewhere. He would literally give us that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12. If I don't get there, you could read it on your own. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12. He says, if you can't do your firstborn at the level I'm asking for, start somewhere. I literally did that as a seminary student. I was in the back of Oak Cliff. I, I took pride, not 
trying to make myself anything, but I took pride in sitting next to my wife and helping take care of our kids. I took pride in that. So I'm sitting there. They used to have these little rocking type of chairs, and I'm pressing the front of it, rocking him to sleep. And Dr. Evans was teaching on giving. And I realized that I'm not giving. Based on how he's defining giving, I am not. So I remember saying to my wife, we got to fix this. And I went home and I said to my wife, listen, we're not buying nothing new. Matter of fact, the people at the church thought I had an afro so I could be Afrocentric. I had an afro because I was cutting back. I carried it. I did my best to keep it nice. Put in, you know, that I didn't have no jerry curl. I couldn't stand the stuff leaking on the back of my shirt. Okay? So I didn't do the jerry curl thing. Okay? But I, I fixed it up nice, spray some stuff in it. But I said, until I can get to this where I know it is in proportion to what I have. Right now the air is at 69. I'm taking it up. I did all these different things in our house so that I can honestly give based on the check that I was receiving my first. So I am not giving grudgingly. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Right off the top, God, my budget says this is what I can give in proportion to what I have. Bam! Because it's going to be the first. Even this morning, getting ready to come to church, I said, oh, they put the paycheck in early. So I'm going to give first. He likes first because he says, seek me first. If you are seeking for me and honor me and respect me, and then you're giving me last, that is not respect. Go to Malachi chapter 1. I'm just teaching you about giving. It is not about living word or the preacher. Stop that. Please. It's gotten old. In Malachi chapter 1, he literally says this. When you read verse 6, he says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? You are representing defiled food to the altar. When I bring God my leftovers, he's saying it's defiled. Also, their food was, was infected animals. God, I'm going to bring you an animal I can't sell. I can't sell this animal. I can't leave this animal with the rest of the animals because this animal is going to infect the rest of the animals. So I got to get rid of this animal. So I'm going to use this animal to get rid of it. I'm going to use your sacrifices, your offering to get rid of the animal. He's saying, man, that's not respect. Go to your governor. He's going to eventually say that. He says, when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? He didn't say it was wrong. He said evil. Evil means you know exactly what I'm saying about giving and you purposefully show up in my sanctuary and do the opposite. That's what the Bible defines as evil. We see evil as somebody stabbing somebody. The Bible says evil is knowing what I'm saying and purposely in your heart doing the opposite. This is what he says. And when you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Why not offer to your governors? Go to your governor when you got to pay taxes and tell them this is all I got left. See if they take it. He says, would he be pleased with you? 
or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts. But no, but now will you not entreat God's favor. You look for God to bless you. That he may be gracious to us. With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly? He didn't say any of your offering kindly, any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts. Or that there is one among you who would shut the gates. I don't care to hear your songs. I don't care to hear how you feel about God. I don't care for none of it. Just shut the church. That you might not unuselessly kindle fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts. Now will I accept your offering from you? And he goes on, chapter 2 says, And now this commandment is for you, O priests. If you do not listen and if you do not take it to, to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send a curse upon you. And I will curse you. I curse your blessings. And indeed, I have cursed them already because you are not taking it to heart. He will, he will curse the preacher. This is how much respect he demands. And I'm just trying to teach you that the reason why many of people are struggling financially, stressed out, upset, mad, can't seem to make ends meet, is the Bible is saying, the reason why you can't get ahead is because you're not respecting me first. You come to my house, you expect it to make it, you expect the house to do well, you expect the house to be productive, but you don't give nothing to it. But you won't do that to your house. So I'm not going to bless your house because you give me leftovers. So that's why, another reason why you see firstlings. That's why he says at the end of Malachi, you can't rob me. Literally, you, you just can't rob me. He says, you could think you're robbing me, but check out what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to get my offering one way or the other. You don't give it to me, I take it from you. You can't rob God. You're wasting time. And that's why he says, burnt offerings. I want you to bring this sacrificially. I want you to come before me. Oh, it's quiet up in here. There's a whole lot of black folks in here. I want you to surrender it to me. And here's the second thing about a burnt offering. It shows dependency. If I'm going to give you my best of my best of my best, and I got all these bills to pay, all these animals to work with, then guess what, God? I'm depending on you to make this work. That's why giving is faith. It's because I choose to obey you, not because it makes sense. I choose to do what you say, whether or not it makes sense, because, God, I trust you. So since I trust you, I will keep doing what you say. And that's why giving, when you say give, because I'm now depending on you to take care of the rest of this. I'm not depending on my job. I'm not depending on how smart I am at my job. I'm not depending on my boss to give me a raise. I'm depending on you to make this work. I'm depending on you to keep my car running. I'm depending on you to keep my house functioning. I am depending on you because I took from the first and I gave you my best. So God, it's up to you now. So that's when I go to work for you. I go to work for you when you function with that kind of dependency. 
Man, I have seen this. Y'all have no idea. I don't preach this out of a verse. I preach this out of a living experience. But if I tell you it's going to make myself look like a hero, and I'm not trying to look that way, I just honestly study this thing, and I, my, I did some crazy things. Just ask my wife. If she was standing there, she would tell you. Pierre picked the most expensive college because I told him, go pick where you want to go. Dad, serious? Pick where you want to go. Pick where you want to go. I believe God is not going to have me in ministry. I'm giving like I'm giving, and my kid's going to be robbed. He tells me that if I, if I neglect knowledge, Hosea chapter 4, he will curse my kids. He says, I will curse your kids as a preacher if you don't take my knowledge and put it to work. I'll curse your kids. So I'm not done that. So your kids ain't cursed, so you're going to the best school you want to go to. He picked it. When he picked it, I said, okay, first thing we're going to do is look for scholarships. Hey, you followed the rules. You do well in school, you gain scholarships. You go free for free. He didn't get all the scholarship money he needed. I said, the rest is on your papa. Don't worry about it. We got this. My wife is quiet in the car. So, baby, we've been down this road before. Remember the day when a, a storm was coming and we were living in that little bitty house in Katy, Texas. Who was walking around a house? God, you can't touch this house. I'm in ministry and I only get paid when the money comes in. And God, there ain't nothing you could do to this house. I'm walking around this house. Ain't not a shingle came off. I'm crazy like that. Crazy like that. Because I believe what he says. He says, now you're depending on me. Here's the third thing about this thing. It's a full surrender. It's a dependence on me. And it is a way of saying, God, today you have my full attention because this, this is why it continues on to say in verse 6 of chapter 12 of Deuteronomy, your sacrifices, your tithes, he goes on, says bring your sacrifices, watch his key word, as a contribution of your hand. It ain't my hand. It's going to be on your hands for you to do this. All week long, you're thinking about this. All week, the word hands means authority, power, control of what I choose to do. That's why he says when you come to church, lift up holy hands. I use my hands all week to bless him, to make sure he's taken care of, to make sure he's first. So when I come to church, now my hands are acceptable before him. We just want to come to church, do what we want to do during the week, but the music is so good, we raise our hands. God says, is that a holy hand? That's why he says, a contribution of your hands, a votive offering. Once you make a vow to do this, it's an offering. Your vow is an offering. So I tell couples all the time, you're not vowing to the person you're standing next to. You're vowing to God. It had nothing to do how they behave as to how you behave. It's everything to do with your commitment to God. If both people do that, you got a marriage. That's why he says this. Here goes this one that everybody loves. Free will offering. <laughs> but let's first deal with this word tithe. Then we get to free will. Because everybody thinks tithing is Old Testament. Now, where does, why do they say that, theologically speaking? And I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 17. Why, 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 why do they say that? The reason why they're saying that tithing is done is because they're parked in the Mosaic law. They're parked there. And I used to say the same thing. The Dallas Seminary, is just, that's just where they go. 
So I just picked up the books and kept going that way. But God has really convicted me over the years that that is not true. Tithing starts before the Mosaic law. Tithing was a habit that was done before the law was ever put in place. It was something that people did before the Jews did it. Tithing was a, was a way people went before their gods and give. And God said, if they could go before their gods and do that, you do it with me. So the Mo, Abraham, it's not in the Mosaic law that tithing started. If you look at tithing in the Mosaic law, it's 33 and a third percent. You know, you know what I think? Okay, please double underline I, 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 I think. So the preacher is not in the Bible right now. He's over here, I, okay? I think that because we choose not to give to God, God made the government give us 30, demand 33 and a third. Why? The church was supposed to have its own benevolent ministry. The church was supposed to be a nation unto itself. The church are not looking to people in government to become the king like they did Saul. They looked to Saul to become king. So who, what did Saul do? Tax them to death. So that's why they stopped giving to God. Because they had to pay taxes to Saul. They had to pay taxes to these kings. And, and, and Solomon took so many taxes, he could bring the, key, the queen of Bathsheba to look at how much loot he had. They took so many taxes because they refused to do what God says in the temple and they went out to politicians to do the work of God. They choose to sacrifice God for their kings and God said, okay, they're going to tax you to death but I'm going to still demand 32 and a third. So when the kings are demanding taxes and God is demanding an income, guess what they do? Stop giving to God because the king going to kill them or lock them up or take their kids. So tithing was before the law. Look at Genesis chapter 17. And God found it to be holy. He didn't say tithing at that point wasn't holy. He called it, he looked at it as holy. In chapter 17 of Genesis, if you can't find Genesis, please meet me after church. <laughs> a matter of fact, look, it's chapter 14. Chapter 14. Look at verse 17. Then after the... Then after they returned from the defeat of Cherolomiar, whatever his name is, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh. That is a king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of what? Of who? It wasn't just Abraham worshiping God. God just chose Abraham. Look at this carefully. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And this is out of Bible these folks were doing this. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tenth of all. This is not, this is right here. Melchizedek is responding to Abraham. And look at what? Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread of a sandal or thong or anything that is yours. And for fear that you would say, I made Abraham rich. I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and share. And he goes on. Anar, Eskar, Manar, Manri, Mamri, a mom noir, a mom whatever. Let him take the share. Understand, this whole thing of a tenth was not something that started with Moses. 
We act like it started with Moses and therefore we got to get rid of it because it's in the ceremony. No, 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 no. That's why he does not include the ceremonial giving in this verse. He doesn't talk about trespass offering. He doesn't talk about sin offerings. He doesn't talk about the meal offering. He doesn't talk about the peace offering. He just talks about offerings that could extend past this time. And that's why the tithe, who's Abraham? Abraham was the father of us all. We don't have time to go to Romans chapter 4 and see that the Bible would say Abraham was the father of us all. Meaning Abraham walked by faith. He didn't walk by a law. And the Bible is saying, as a matter of fact, go to Hebrews chapter 7. Hold on. Go to Hebrews chapter 7. Let me show you how this ties together with a tithe on the conversation. With a tithe on the conversation. Let's see how it ties together. The book of Hebrews, the best way to find that is to go to Revelation and just keep backing up. That's the best way to find the book of Hebrews. If you get to Colossians, you missed it. Okay? And the best way to find it is to go to the table of content. And if somebody look at you funny, tell them the Lord love you. Okay? And just keep trucking. I want you to look. Look at chapter 7 of Hebrews verse 4. Now this is what he says. Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of his choicest spoils. Back to this first thing. This firstlings. He's back there. Okay? He's bringing up what happened in Genesis chapter 14 to a group of people in a church in Hebrew. A Hebrew meaning most of the people in this church are Jews. But they're now going to church. You say, how do you know they're going to church? Glad you asked that. Look at chapter 10. Let your pastor preach, teach you today. Look at chapter 10. Walk with me today. In chapter 10 of Hebrews, you know they're in church because he's telling them not to neglect the assembling of themselves together. Look at verse 26, as I was talking about that today. He says in verse 23, he says, let us hold fast at the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is what? And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another on all the more as we see today drawing near. He says to come to church is required. To not obey God is a sin while we say we're worshiping him. Oxymoron to the bone. So we know when he's talking about giving attached to what we just read in Genesis, he's talking to people in a church, not in a temple. And this is what he says to them. Look at chapter 7. Look at chapter 7, verse 4 is where we were of Hebrews chapter 7. This is what he says in verse 4. Now, now observe how great this man was to, to whom, Ab whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of his choicest spoils. The man was a priest. And Abraham gave to this priest who worshiped God. And those indeed of the sons of Levi, now we're in the book of Levi, Le Leviticus. We got switched from Genesis to Leviticus. Who receive the priest's office, have commanded, commandment in the law to collect a tenth. From the people. Watch this. Abraham chose to do it. They were commanded to do it. That is from the brethren, although they are descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham, Melchizedek, and blessed the one who had the promises. Melchizedek didn't. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. And in this case, mortal men receive tithes. But in that case, one receives them of whom it is a witness that he lives on. 
sought to speak through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes. Paid them. He is saying to this church in the book of Hebrews, pay this. He's not asking. This is what you do if you want to have the same blessings, the same legacy, like you saw Abraham have, then do exactly what he did to that priest. So when it comes to tithes, and we get to this free will offering thing, it, there's nothing new about free will offering in the Bible. It's been around. We act like it's a New Testament thing. It's not a New Testament thing. It's an Old Testament thing, and it's on top of a tithe. So if we really want to do free will offering, you better back it up. Because we think free will offering is I freely decide in my heart I'm going to give God $5. Because I just freely and cheerfully feel this way about my offering. And God is going, that's not a free will offering. Go to Exodus chapter 35. He defines a free will offering. We act like we just pick up these words, dump them into our context, dump them into our culture, and because we define it, that's what God says. God doesn't follow us. Amen. Look at Exodus chapter 35. There's tons of passages of Scripture that talk about free will offering. If you want them, I'll be happy to send them to you. I think I put them in the bulletin to start with. So you could look at it for yourself in the bulletin. That this pastor's not telling you stuff with any crazy motives. I don't care to take your money. I'm not going to do that. I got to go to heaven and have God beat me up over that. I'm not interested in that. You're looking, going around heaven and I'm sitting in the outer darkness, weeping and gnashing teeth while you're walking around forever. I can't trick God. Who could trick God? You know, I always think it's a funny thing when people think they could steal from somebody who lives inside of them. How could you keep a secret from somebody who lives inside of you? In Exodus 35, he says to them, this is how a free will offering looks like. And you can read the, this chapter and it will blow your mind as to what a free will offering is. I'm going to start off with here. He says in verse 1, And Moses assembled the congregation of the sons of Israel. These are the things which the Lord has commanded you to do. Okay? He's not talking about a tithe. He's not talking about a tithe. He's talking about building the tabernacle. Not coming to worship. He said, In the sixth day's work has been, may, may be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a holy day. That's why Jesus Christ rose on a Sunday, a resurrection Sunday. Okay? It's a holy day. A Sabbath, a complete rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work, it shall be, they shall be put to death. Okay? Serious stuff on Sunday morning. I'm, that's why I'm saying to you, I am not fussing at you just to get you to sit back in this church. I'm being a pastor by leading you correctly. You could not listen to me, but I'm telling you the truth. It is a serious issue for us to respect God, to get up off our seats, and to go to the inconvenience of trying to get to a sanctuary to worship him. He sees that as worship, respect. Moses spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded you, verse 4, saying, take from among you a contribution to the Lord, whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring to the Lord's contribution gold, silver, and bronze. What do we have in Deuteronomy? The word contribution. Verse 20, then all the congregation of the sons of Israel departed from Moses' presence, everyone whose heart stirred him. 
And everyone whose heart moved him and brought a large contribution for the work of the tent of the meeting and for all the sacrifices and the holy garments. They were supposed to dress the priests. So a free will offering is when a pastor could say 700 club. Missions. It is outside of the just a regular tithe a person gives is what a free will offering is. A free will offering is not, this is how I come to worship God, so I just bring God what freely is in my heart. That is not what he's saying. He's saying when I come and bring you before the church and I demand that you do more than a tenth, do it with a willing heart. And be cheerful about it. Why? He's going to the church in Corinth. What is he telling the church in Corinth? Support the church in Jerusalem. That's why he's talking about free will offering in 2 Corinthians. Because they're going above their offering to support the church in Jerusalem. So since you're going above your offering to support the church in Jerusalem, then you need to bring a free will offering. I can't tell you what to do with that offering because the one is supposed to go to the church. But when you choose to give above that, that's the free will offering. We got it twisted because we want to give to God whatever we want. And God is going, what? Your governor don't do that. Go to your governor and tell him this is what I got. Go to your car note and tell him this is all I got this month. Go to your mortgage company and tell him, oh, this is all I got this month. But once we give that mortgage, we got another offering to give. We got roofs to fix, plumbing to fix sinks that leak now we got to give to that temple where we go to live in that house another offering you come to my house yes I have a mortgage here yes I got lights here but I also need a free will offering because there's some other things I need to do here why is that a problem when I freely give to you an offering from heaven that's a free will offering and that's a sh the best way I could do it in the short time I have. Because it will take the entire Bible to show you that we got this thing, free will offering, twisted. It is not what we are claiming to be. And that's why it's a free will offering in 2 Corinthians. They were giving above their tithe to support the church in Jerusalem. That's why it's like that. So... Back to Deuteronomy, like if you're still interested, i still there. And that's why he says, in verse 7, now I bless your household. Now you could rejoice, you could come before me, you could sing, you could bless my name, because only now we got worship your way. That's why sometimes I wish when people walk into church, they just go around the church, wherever they're going to sit, boom, boom, give to God. Get online before they get here, give to God. So God, I'm done. I'm ready to do a dance. God is saying, now I accept your dance. Now I accept you coming before me with your hands lifted because they've been holy. Now I can understand why you say praise the Lord because you were able to give because God has been good to you. Now I can see I can celebrate, but before then I don't get it. If you come in broke, you didn't celebrate me. You're hoping I do something for you. Look at this. Therefore, also verse 7, you and your households shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice when you sit down and crack them eggs. It's before God. 
Because why is he saying that? Because before you left your house, I was your worship. You set money aside. You saved it. So by the time you come to my house, oh yes, you came because everything I'm now doing at your house is because you took my house serious. So everything you now do at your house, I'm watching it, splitting that egg, taking care of that. I'm watching over everything you do at your house. Watch this carefully. He says, in all your undertakings, everything, you go out to do business, I'm watching over that. You go out to start a business, I'm watching over that. I'm, you go, you dump in your car, I'm watching over that. You sit at your desk at your job, I'm watching over that. Why? Because you took my house seriously, every undertaking you have, I'm going to watch over it and bless it. And that's why he didn't say you could get happy first. He said you could rejoice. Joy come from the development of the Holy Spirit in my life. Joy come from the maturity of the Holy Spirit in my life. That's what joy come from because you're now walking in the Spirit, obeying the Word of God. Your heart will be merry. The word rejoice means you will live carefree. You don't have to worry about nothing. That's what the word rejoice means. It's not just getting God happy. God, I ain't got to worry about these medical bills because you got it. God, I ain't got to worry about my car note. You got it. God, I ain't got to worry about no mortgage. You got it. So God, in spite of the fact I got all these bills, in front of me, I rejoice. I don't stress out anymore. The best way I can explain the word rejoice is me going to try to buy some fries after my doctor gives me a good cholesterol reading. See, I go and I stop in the hood to a McDonald's to get my large fry and my Coke. That's my standard thing, Pepsi. Because at McDonald's, they don't sell Coke. So I go, and I say, hey, man, let me see what I want. The guy is standing at the register with his hat this way. And I'm looking, and I said, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and get my large fry. It took you that long to get a fry. <laughs> Dude, it took you forever just to order a fry. What else you want, man? I said, that's all. The father in me said, man, you don't talk to customers like that because that's how you get paid. Did I ask you for a lesson right now? What else you want, man? Then he went to fix the hat further back. That, as crazy as it sounds, is rejoice. <laughs> rejoice is not a feeling. It's an attitude. Is that God, oh, they put this bill in front of me? So what? You got that. Carnot, <laughs> you got that. The doctors say what? Lord, you got that. It is an attitude. It, it is not a feeling. We, we want, that's why he puts the word in the bottom of the verse, prosper. What is he saying? When, when I prosper you, that's when he's talking about happy. Watch it. Before he says rejoice, rejoice is an attitude. It's an attitude. Okay, watch this carefully. And rejoice in all your undertakings in which the Lord your God has, not going to, has, please see the word has, blessed you. The word blessed means happy and prosperous. I don't get happy until I get a new car. That's when I get what? Happy. I rejoice when the car is doing the shake and bake. And I come to the car and it starts and I make it to work and I get out of my car, I don't care who's looking, and I go, thank you, Jesus. See, that's rejoice. Happy is when I get a new car and I ain't got to worry about the old car. 
Because he has prospered me, I get what? Happy. When I'm no longer going to the apartment and the roaches are running everywhere, and I'm now in a house, guess what I'm now? Happy. Because I'm not going in there going, oh, God, I got to kill these roaches again. He, he, he said, you know what? I'm going to kill them because they're going to die. They're going to die from starvation. That's why I decided to kill them. <laughs> My wife and I said, we're going to kill them by killing them. What do you mean by killing them? If there's no food nowhere or no pot nowhere, they're going to get disinterested in this kitchen. So you and I are going to clean the stuffings out of this kitchen. We're going to starve these roaches to death because we've had hotels. They come in, they check out. They are not jumping in these hotel boxes. We spray them, they move one place, and they come back and looking at us saying, you, this all, that's all you got? So this roach is rejoicing, and we're in misery. So we got to rejoice by starving them. Sure enough, they left. Then we, we just, man, pots be so clean. They left. They didn't come back. As many of them didn't come back. The young ones came back because they needed some knowledge and understanding. <laughs> Understand. The Bible is saying happiness is when you now step into your new house. And I have blessed you with something better. He says, now you can what? Be happy. But when you got problems, you got issues, you got health issues, but you know you're faithfully giving to God. He says, what you need is an attitude. That in spite of the problems, God, you got this. I ain't sweating this. Oh, the washing machine broke. Oh, Lord, we can't do nothing right now. So, you know what, Lord? I don't care. You blessed me to even have clothes. We all find, that's why whatever's good, whatever's right, whatever's lovely, we rejoice in those things. Because now you're finding another reason to bless him. You know, oh, God, you know what? My car is acting crazy, but I thank you. I got life and I got strength. Because the Spirit of God just make you get an attitude about everything. Paul could be under house arrest. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. His, his situation wasn't good, but he's rejoicing. Why? His hope is in God. But happiness comes when the house is new, the car is new. Happiness comes when I'm walking around and the, and the doctor says, you know what? You ain't supposed to be alive right now, but you're doing great. Happiness. The Bible says when I prosper you, then you know I've taken all your undertakings and I have blessed you. That's why you're at the point of happiness. You see, when we respect him, he doesn't just respect what we have. He respects the feelings that we need when life is difficult, hard, overwhelming, stressful. We need to find a way to rejoice. So he not just blesses us with things. He blesses us with a disposition that gives him glory, that gives us peace, gives us strength, that gives us joy. That's why he's saying it all starts with one thing. God, when I look at my money, I will respect you. Let us stand. It is not about a preacher. It's not about that. Let's stop that at living word. We have been faithful. The structure of our church is that the pastor can't even spend money without the elders keeping an eye on it. And I set that up. I planted living word. When I planted Living Word, I did it based on the book.
So the pastor can't just go out and spend money to start with at this church. The elders get a report, and if they're, I'm behind and giving them a report right now because we've been doing some grants, and we only have one accountant, so we've hired a, time, a, a part-time accountant to make sure the accountant can get the elders caught up. And the treasurer goes in to talk with the accountant. He could ask her any questions he wants. He can. I'm not the only one signing a check at the bank. I can't. I can't sign it without somebody else signing it. It's most of the time I don't see a need to do it. But I just do it because of the dragon elders here every week. And so what another person got to sign. The treasurer of the church sees everything that's going on, could talk to the banker. There's all kind of accountability built in. So let's stop stressing on this and focus on doing what God says. Because a living word, you don't have an excuse. Let us pray.